Hello, and welcome back to Tour Guide Tales, brought to you by Visit Scotland. I'm Grant Stock, and each week I'll speak to a different tour guide to hear the eclectic and often incredible rich history of Scotland through their knowledge, stories, and experiences. Today, I'll be speaking to Cormac Grogan, manager of Scale House on Orkney. Owned by 12 generations of the same family for 400 years, Scale House is a treasure trove, not only of amazing artifacts, but of spellbinding stories. The tales of the lairds of the house, who have fought in wars, hosted royalty, discovered 5,000-year-old villages and sunken treasure, are matched only by the stories of the ghosts who also reside in the house. Here to regale us with just some of these tales is Cormac. Welcome, Cormac. Well, Cormac, welcome to Tour Guide Tales. There you are looking resplendent with your scale house jumper on. You're, uh, you're very much set for the chat. Um, before we get into scale house itself and where it is, uh, let's get a bit of background to your journey and how you came to find yourself uh, here. Okay, so uh, I arrived in Orkney first in 2010, where I did my master's in archaeology up here. And... I left for a number of years and we were desperate to return as a family and the job here at Scale House came up and it was the best decision we ever made. So we came back in March 2019 and I've been here ever since. You said you were desperate to get back to Orkney and many of us can, can understand that, but what was it for you? What was the, what was the, the pull? The pull, well, the quality of the job. I've, I have a passion of history um, and my wife is Orcadian as well. So um, we... We love the, the way of life up here. And Scale House is such an iconic part of the, the landscape here in Orkney. So uh, the opportunity to work here and to develop the business here was uh, I just, I couldn't turn it down. And I, and I can see why, given what you say your background is and what your, your, you know, what your passion is, archaeology. And, and this is the thing about Scale House, that is, there's more to it than it just being this fabulous historic mansion house there's there's so many different aspects to this so so for those who perhaps never seen it uh in its setting there we are this is probably the, the furthest north we've gone so far in our tour guide tales so we're right at the north of scotland on the on orkney so give us an idea of the house where it is what it looks like and what you see when you go there yeah so uh scale house is located on mainland orkney uh so the main island and we're right on the west coast, uh, so we overlook the beautiful Bay of Scale, uh, and we're in the Orkney World Heritage uh, site here uh, at Scale House. The house is a rambling uh, mansion house, um, about around about 20,000 square feet, um, and the front aspect faces right onto the sea. Uh, so it is a beautiful location, um, surrounded by uh, sunken gardens and lawns, um, and with uh, the site of Scarabray right on our doorstep. We're going to get to Scarabray uh, shortly, but uh, sticking with the house at the moment, this is the only mansion house open to the public in Orkney, am I right? Yes, it is, yes. Uh, so it's the oldest mansion house in Orkney as well, um, and it was open to the public in 1997, um, following six years of renovations to the house. And it's still owned by the, the same family. Give us a bit of the family history with the house. Yeah, so the, it's been owned by four uh, four different family groups, but they're all linked through marriage and, and through relation. 
that way. Um, and it's had 12 uh, layers. Um, so Scale House is the seat of the Breckness Estate, um, which is a 4,000 acre estate here, um, which is the largest private estate in Orkney. Um, so the family are still connected and there is another set of generations to take over the, the house as well. And the thing that I, I find fascinating uh, about Scale House is it is a mansion. It is you know, still, a, you know, a family home in many aspects. It's it's open to the public, but it's the the history that's within it as well, which is which is global. It's not just from around. So there's there's so much to take in when when you visit. Yeah, no, it's it's a time capsule of both Orkney's social history, but as you said, collections from the the four hundred years of the house that have all been kept here. Um, we range from Russia to Japan worldwide and um there's a story in every object in the house and people really are amazed when they walk through the door by the time they leave the, the sheer amount of content in the house is is un- unbelievable so it's it's homely it's historic and just to cap it all off it's haunted as well it is it is there's a, four well-known ghosts attached to the house but there's always uh different sightings different stories um and it adds to the whole ambience of the of the building um, and the intrigue of it. Uh, locally, it's very much known as a as a haunted house, um, and Halloween is always a very good time for us in regards to that. Well, we will get to the ghosts uh, over the course of our conversation today. Uh, let's start with that connection that, that sort of drew you there. I think it's fair to say with that connection with Scarabray. Um, again, give us a little bit of background about Scarabray itself, what it is, and the connection to the house. Yeah, so Scarabray is a Neolithic village um, on uh, the Bay of Scale, and it uh, was there around 3000 BC. Um, and it was the sort of the first visible signs of occupation in this part of Orkney. Um, the site itself was occupied right up until 2500 BC, and it's one of the best preserved sites uh, in, in the UK. Um, it dates back past the pyramids of Egypt. Um, and it's a real national treasure, um, drawing hundreds of thousands of people every year. Um, and it's, again, right on our doorstep. And the house has been uh, part of the story of Scarabray from its discovery in 1850. So, there, and there is a connection with the, with the house and the discovery of, of Scarabray. And this goes back to the, the first Laird. No, so it's the seventh Laird um, of scale. So it's uh, William Graham Watt. So he discovered it in 1850, uh, following from a, a huge storm. Um, and following on from the storm, he was assessing parts of the, the farmland and had realized that some stone had been revealed under what was uh, previously a sand dune. Um, and being uh, a gentleman of the time, they were fascinated with antiquity. Um, and he began excavating the first three houses at, at Scarabray. Um, and from there, it just led on to this incredible story uh, and incredible worldwide renown. Um, the original items that were in artifacts that were discovered at Scarabray originally were housed in the private museum of Scale House. And it wasn't until the 1920s and 30s that they were donated um, to the National Museum of Scotland and the local museums in Orkney. So what do you see now? When when you you come to to visit Scarabray itself, as a, as opposed to this, which we will get to, but but what is there for for you to take in? Yeah, so there's a wonderful visitor centre that was built in 1998, uh, which contains a museum, um, a video production, and a mock 
mock-up of one of the scale houses. And when you get down to the site, you'd be amazed at the quality of preservation. They're all roofless sites, um, and inside them, there's still the box beds, the stone dressers, the hearts are all still there. And one of the houses is a workshop as well. Um, so it's incredibly well-preserved. Um, it's some of the earliest evidence of a uh, sewerage system in a house. Um, and the narrow passageways and uh, kind of togetherness of the, of the buildings uh, kind of make it, you can, you can really imagine it as people living in it. And right on the doorstep of Scarabray is Scale House. Give us an idea of the distance between where you are right now and Scarabray. Yeah, so you're talking about 100 metres um, up, up to bay from, from Scarabray is Scale House. So from our windows here, you see right down to the site. Um, and it's an iconic image as the, the ancient settlement and then the most more recent mansion house. Well, it's fabulous that there is this connection uh, between the, the two sites. Uh, and let's let's go into Scale House now. So I come up to Orkney. Uh, I, I make my way to, to Scale House. What, what, what do I see when I, when I step, step over the threshold? What, what, what's, what's waiting for me? Yeah, so you're welcomed into what is previously was the servant's entrance into Scale House. Um, so that is our now reception in. So you come in that, that entrance um, and you're welcomed into what used to be the butler's pantry. Um, and off the butler's pantry leads to the dining room and to our gift shop, which was once the kitchen uh, for scale. Um, and it's there that you begin your self-guided tour around the house. And as we mentioned at the start of the conversation, uh, this house itself, obviously 400 years old, um, so that in itself is fascinating, but it's the contents that are housed. And I don't think we can quite ever underplay the amount of, and, and is it fair for me to use the word hoarding that the, <laughs> yeah. the generations have, 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 have amassed here? Um, so so let, let's go through some of the, the fascinating stories and, and items that you have. And uh, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that you have a dinner service from one of Captain Cook's ships. Is that right? Yes, that is true. Yeah, we have a beautiful lowest off dinner service uh, that arrived in the house approximately August 1780. Um, and at that time, uh, the HMS Resolution and HMS Discovery had returned from uh, Hawaii following the death of Captain Cook. And the first port of call when they arrived back in the UK was actually Stromness, which is just eight miles from here. Um, there are a number of rumours and kind of how the dinner service came to the house. Um, the one that we're most fond of is that it was used as a barter by the crew um, for supplies. Um, and being the largest landowner in the area, uh, the, the estate and scale house would have been the, the key point of contact for those ships. Um, so they would have maybe bartered the dinner service, which they would have had no real use for, following because as Captain Cook was dead now. Um, and they would have traded that in for rations and supplies. Uh, another good theory as well is that um, the current laird at the time had just passed away and that the dinner service was actually given as a gift of condolence to his widow. Uh, it's, it's an amazing dinner service. It always attracts a huge amount of attention um, as the service is an incredibly floral pink and green dinner service and people often 
question how such a dainty and beautiful service ended up on a on a on a ship at that time. Um, and I suppose it's a really good illustration of that of that era because it wasn't until the Victorian period that we associate pinks with as a feminine color in a sense. So that would have been seen as a really incredible kind of status symbol on the sh- on the ship. So it wouldn't be too far a stretch to say that the dinner service that you have there was once used by Captain Cook. Yes, yes, we believe so. Um, it's an incredible artifact. It's around 100 pieces in the service, so we only have a small amount of it on, on display. But it ties in very well with, with uh, records of the ships having anchored at Stromness and with this uh, normal kind of port uh, etiquette, which was that uh, gift giving to the to the local landlord. So, what what pieces are on display? I mean, you know, you, I think of a dinner service. I think of a you know a large plate, a, a side plate, a saucer, a cup. Give us an idea of what what, what the, yeah. What, so, what we've we got, so on display uh, in one of the cabinets in our dining room is uh, the main plate. So we've got the large serving plates, serving dishes, um, smaller side plates, and bowls. Um, and of the remaining service, uh, some of it is held at Binscart, another house in the current home of our current laird of, of Scale House. There are some beautiful soup tureens as well from, from the set, uh, which are just stunning. Absolutely fascinating. I take it nobody uses them. No, part of it these no days. we don't. No, it, it hasn't come out for a, a party as of yet. But, uh... <laughs> I hope not, I hope not. <laughs> um, so so that's, that's one fascinating story dating back, back to, to Captain Cook's time. Uh, we also have a story, you know, connected to to war, and in particular, uh, World War One. Yes, yeah. So Henry Scarth, who was the eleventh laird of of Scalehouse, he uh, served in the First World War with the Scots Guards, and he was injured uh, at the very start of the war in nineteen fourteen, um, and it wasn't until around nineteen eighteen nineteen that he was put back into um, commission and was sent uh, to the Russian front uh, to fight on, the, on behalf of the white Russians who were fighting for the Tsar. Um, and we have a huge amount of artifacts and, and uh, records and diaries connected to that time. Um, and one of the particular stories that is fascinating is uh, the Russian flag, Bolshevik Russian flag that we have in our hallway. You have... You have it there. So, so what's the, the? Did he bring this home? Yeah. So it was a, it was a, a captured treasure of 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 the war, um, and he had defended the port uh, city of Archangel um, in Western Russia, and captured this Bolshevik flag uh, in Murmansk, brought it back to Scale House, and it was on display in the hallway. Later on in his military career, he served as a connection between Orkney, the Orkney Islands people and the military presence here during World War II. And a Russian admiral uh, was coming to dinner at Scale House, and he was driving in his motorcade up the drive. And it wasn't until he had almost parked and was out of the car that they realized that this Bolshevik flag was still in the hallway. (laughs) So to save any blushes, they quickly had to hide the flag and stuffed it into a cupboard near our west doorway. (laughs) Wow. And that is clearly there for, for us all to see today. Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's faded color now, but we have an example of uh, what it would have looked at when it was first captured. Um, and it just adds, it's probably the key part of that 
Russian collection, but we have iconography, we have uh, a huge array of photographs that were taken during the time there. So it's a lovely collection to have. How big is that collection? So it's photographs. There is the flag, obviously, that we talked about. What yeah. else can we see in that? Yeah, so there's a lot of his military regalia from the time when he served there. So we've got kits, we've got uh, winter coats, uh, and we have uh, different religious icons that were picked up from uh, ruined churches and, and the likes as well, um, along with translation books from Russian to English and English to Russian. So it's safe to say that they, uh, they weren't really for, for throwing anything out, were they? No, no, there's there's plenty of space here at the house. So, you know, there's plenty of room to hoard things and uh, we're still finding things today in the many attics in the house. Well, there is so much to, to try and get through. The next thing I want you to tell us about is this ornate chest from the Armada. Yeah. So during the the, the kind of height of the, the Royal Navy and the Spanish Armada's battles, uh, the Spanish Armada were forced to retreat um, up the English Channel into the North Sea, uh, where many of the ships were actually lost in storms or ended up wrecking. Uh, one of these ships uh, ended up wrecking off Fair Isle, um, just between ourselves and Shetland. Um, unfortunately, Fair Isle couldn't accept these un- <laughs> unannounced visitors and provided them with a boat to make their way south uh, towards Orkney. And they, they landed in on our North Isle of Westry. Um, and it's believed that these panels that we have at, at the house came off one of the galleons. Um, and they, again, were probably traded for rations and provisions uh, to see the crew try to get back to, to Spain. And these uh, panels that were taken off the galleon were then made into a chest which sits in the hallway at Scale House. And the only other known example of a chest uh, similar to that is at the V&A in London. Absolutely fascinating. It would be tricky to even begin to think what the value of, of something like that is. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's, it's priceless in a sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, with the kind of rarity and uh, the fact it's, it's a bespoke piece of furniture as well. Um, so it's very unique in that regard. Um, and again, it's a lovely part of the the history of Orkney and how being a small island cluster, we're still found ourselves part of something like the Spanish Armada. And what's also great about the collection and, and the things and the artifacts that we're talking about is that it's not just a case of, oh, they've acquired something, they've bought something, it's put it there. There, there tends to be a connection, a personal connection with, uh, with, with the family uh, of the house at some point through history and acquiring these, these pieces that we talked about. And, and, and this brings me on to the connection with Japan, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which, which forms quite a, quite a large part of the, the collection yes. as well. Tell us about, well, first of all, uh, the member of the family, what he did and what he has brought back. Yeah, so one of our most recent discoveries uh, is the importance of four sketchbooks belonging to uh, the 11th Laird's grandfather, Henry Charbel. And, and Henry is a German native uh, originally. Um, and he was born in Lübeck in Germany. And Henry became a British citizen and, and worked with the uh, Admiralty as a cartographer and hydrographer. Um, and he did a lot of work in, in his early days surveying the Western Isles. And it was during that time that he ended up meeting an engineer uh, called Colin McVean. 
And Colin McVean ended up going out to Japan during the Meiji period uh, to set up uh, the Imperial School of Engineering. Um, and it was their friendship that led to Henry ending up in Japan, where he spent two and a half to three years in, in Japan during one of the periods of the greatest amount of change in, in Japan, where it went from a feudal society to a more modern society. Um, so we have travel diaries, artifacts and gifts, swords, and these four very important sketchbooks that detail day-to-day life in late 19th century Japan. And this is of key interest to Japan now as well, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Very much so. We have had um, a lot of interest from uh, the Japanese consulate in Edinburgh. So the vice consulate of Japan has been here to have a look at the sketchbooks. Uh, We also had a professor, Yoshi, from California that came over, who is an expert in uh, Japanese art. Um, And he couldn't get over that he was finding something like this in Orkney. What Scot- Scotland, whatever about Scotland, but in Orkney. Um, and we always knew we had these sketchbooks, but never knew the importance of them. Um, and this has led now to uh, hopefully a wider project where we're hoping to retrace the steps of Henry in Japan uh, in the years to come. And Henry was uh, a bit of a prolific sketcher as well. He, he also did some notable sketches closer to home. Yes, he did. Uh, one of his most uh, important uh, sketches was of uh, the v- village in St. Kilda, um, which details the, the village and the people that lived in the houses, all the family names attached, attached to it. And uh, this sketch that he did uh, ended up being part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site uh, brief for St. Kilda. Um, and, you know, very important part um, of, of the history of, of uh, those islands. Um, when he came back from Japan, he then became chief draftsman at the Royal Geographical Society. And he did some of the first detailed maps of Tibet, Afghanistan, Eastern Australia, to name, to name just a few. Um, and he remained in that role right up until his death um, and, is, and is known for his artistic and attention to detail uh, maps uh, that are still still uh, referenced today. See, I love that because you could almost expect just that one part of the story to be, you know, a visitor attraction. It's, it's enough to draw people in to come and see just what he has mm-hmm. done. But yet you have all this history with all these members of this this family who've, who've contributed to what is on offer at Scalehouse. And, and I guess, and as you mentioned, you know, you, you give us an idea of, of this, the size of the the property but you're continuing to find you're continuing to to find and make these amazing discoveries yes no it's it, we've we had some work done in our um archives here at the house and there's still a lot of work left to be done and as i said before there's there's small attic rooms that are still housing chests and stuff that haven't been opened and even this winter we discovered one of the original portraits of one of the the ninth laird of scale house so to be able to return that and uh, refurbish it, put it back into our dining room where it should have been, uh, was a lovely find. Um, but it's the marvelous thing about old houses like this. You know, you just don't know what you're going to find and what's around the next corner. And I'm just going to throw this in. I'll throw this name in because there's a connection here. Florence Nightingale. Yes. Yeah, so it's a, 
again, a, a strange discovery uh, where there's a relation of the house uh, that acquired these these letters from uh, Florence Nightingale. Um, and she writes very personal letters um, to a lady who was key in founding kind of modern nursing in, in Scotland. Um, and they detail the kind of the warmth of uh, receiving a letter and uh, talking about the how the knights are drawing in um, and very you know as you would chat amongst friends you know it's just you know she references the fact that she is writing by candlelight as as the winter days the light is gone um, so again an incredible find um, at the house and we had those on display last year and I love the fact that Florence Nightingale used the phrase ah the knights are fair drawn in. Which is we hear we hearing that now all over the place, um, and visitors as well. Queen Mother has been uh, to Scale House and, and dined as a guest. Yeah, so the, the the Castle of May is just across the water from us here, which so is our residence uh, was our residence in Scotland, and the Queen Mother attended here in 1970 and 1983, where she she dined in the dining room, and there's a great story that we like to tell of her first arrival uh, at Scale and. She sat at the dining room. Uh, they had offered to give her the head of the table seat, but she wished to sit with her back to the windows because of fear of the, the light revealing her wrinkles. So <laughs> she, she, even in small company, she was very much aware of her appearance. Um, and it was always a very enjoyable visit to Scale House, um, so much so that the staff at the Castle of May, uh, while she was alive, made a annual visit to Scale House to have a picnic in the sunken lawns here. Fantastic. Well, a lovely connection. I'm sure even though the Queen Mother was a very important guest, I take it she wasn't offered Captain Cook's uh, dinner service to eat off. No, no, just a 19th century Copeland's food that uh, just <laughs> just the bog standard stuff. But no, she uh, she was a great a great friend of the Scarred family and uh, her her visits here were always it was always a very good partner and a very good Orkney welcome that she received. So, Homely, uh, clearly, that box is ticked. Uh, history, that, that's ticked. Let's, let's deal with the, the fact that this is known as, as haunted locally and, and beyond. So, so give us, because I think of where it's built, it gives it a nice sort of lead-in to, to the haunted story. Yeah, so... Uh... Henry Scart, the 11th Laird, was doing renovations on the hall, uh, which used to be a flagstone floor. They wanted to put in a, a wood floor, so they started to lift the flagstones to reveal a number of bodies underneath the hall. Um, and these turned out to be uh, pre-Viking Pictish burials. And they basically just put the flagstones back down and put the floorboards <laughs> over the flagstones. <laughs> so that's a great lead-in to the fact that the house is is built on uh, a pre-Viking burial ground, and surrounding the house um, is a early early Christian graveyard as well. So when the house was being opened to the public, new drainage was to be installed, and approximately fifteen graves were discovered around the house as well. Um, so no doubt, there's plenty more. Uh, bodies under the stairs, etc., cetera, uh, at scale. And this, you know, that provides an amazing platform for a haunted house. Um, and the house has, 
has had many, many uh, strange uh, encounters that have happened over the years here, for sure. Well, you know, given the fact that there are literally dead bodies underneath the foundations of the house, in the hall where you walk, who knows what else is, is, is underneath. Uh, you know, it's perfect fodder for, for some ghost stories. And with every good ghost story, there are, there are characters abound. Uh, so, so give us a, an idea of a couple of the characters who haunt Scale House. Yeah, so we have one, our most famous is a character called Ubby. And Ubby is a sort of strange character from sort of around the 18th, 19th century. Um, they believe he may have been a servant or a child of a servant. Uh, and he would have been quite short, maybe not able to work as normal, may have had some disabilities of some degree. And he set about building an island in the middle of Scale Lock. Uh, so he would row his boat over the scale lock with, uh, filled with stones and would drop the stones down. Um, and eventually a small island formed in the middle of scale lock. And to give context, the lock is visible from the back of the house. It's right, we back right onto it as well. And once he had built this island, the story goes that he lay down on the island, exhausted from all the work and just died. But his room is a part of the house that has been hasn't been renovated as yet. Yeah, so there is an Ubby's bedroom, uh, is what it's known as. Um, and when people have stayed in our our apartments here, they have heard of running steps in this long corridor which leads between the main apartment and Ubby's bedroom and another part of the house. Um, and of course, when you open the door, there's no one running. So Ubby tends to make an appearance as so, sort of mischievous. Um, our gardener and maintenance man, Steve, uh, has a great story um, in that part of the house where he was fixing uh, a leak that had occurred in one of the towers in, the, in what's called the long room. And he had noticed uh, while he was there that the door shut and clicked shut. So he went down, saw if someone was there and pushed it back open again. Went back up the stairs and again, the door closed and clicked shut. So this happened a couple of more times before he, he started to get a bit on edge about it. And it just wasn't... I am at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just, and it wasn't until he was pretty much getting ready to leave and had finished the job that he realized that the door in question didn't have a lock, didn't even have a door handle. So how was he hearing this clicking sound? So he then opened the door a final time and was just leaving the room when it closed again and clicked shut. And he hasn't been back since. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I can't blame him. No, no. Oh, I tell you, we, we do love a ghost story on on Tour Guide Tales. Mm -hmm. uh, you have another. You have another. Vision, a lady in black spotted it at the window. Yeah, so a lady in black has been spotted a couple of times in in, in the house. Uh, a few times she's been spotted in what's known as Mrs. Scart's bedroom. Um, and probably one of the most notable kind of sightings is one where uh, a person was driving away from the house down our driveway and Mrs. Scart's bedroom looks out over the drive. And she did look back and saw a figure standing in the window. Um, and again, I don't think it'd be any good house 
without a lady in black. And we do have a gentleman in black as well, which also makes an appearance here and there as well. And he has been known to speak to people. Um, and and someone has come He's up. He's been known to speak to people. How, yeah. how, how, how's that manifested itself? So we have another room in the house, the gun room. Uh, and guests about five or six years ago uh, came back into the shop and said, it's great to have a member of staff dressed in period costume. And we said, well, there's... There's no member of staff that are dressed like that. <laughs> and, yeah, and they said, well, this gentleman in a black uniform spoke to us in the gunroom. And, of course, we went back to check and no one was there. But there have been sightings of a gentleman in black or the smell of cigar smoke and cigarette smoke coming from that room over the past. And you have your own experience. Have you, <laughs> have you encountered a, 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 a ghostly resident. Well, it may have been, but it certainly put the hair uh, hairs up on, on the back of my neck. Uh, this this winter, uh, we closed for the winter and we're doing a lot of maintenance for our 400th anniversary. And I was chatting to uh, our maintenance man. And I just cast my eye to the right uh, across kind of a doorway. And I just saw this black figure just cross the, cross the doorway and into the gun room which would connect very well with this figure in black. But being a skeptic, of course, I was, oh, it must have been the reflection on the, the glass surfaces of the two pictures on either side. But certainly, uh, you know, when you don't have many lights on in the dead of winter in, in this house, it, it certainly was uh, chilling. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're not the only one to have had a, a, an interesting experience, let's just say. Uh, Malcolm. The current layered. We were talking about some of the body, the bodies uh, underneath, mm-hmm. and and he touched a bone. What what's the story here? What what happened to him? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was Malcolm that uh, has was the latest layer to inherit the house, and he did the work that opened the house to the public. So he he did a, an amazing video of the excavations uh, at Scale House, and one when the bodies were first found, he picked up one of the bones that was put into a box. Uh, just examining it and having a look at it. But for seven days, he had no feeling in the fingers where he touched those bones. <laughs> so someone wasn't happy with being disturbed, I don't think. So we've, we've discovered that those of you that, that live and work there have had uh, experiences. We heard about some of the, the, the guests, the visitors who engaged with uh, this figure in the gun room. Um, what other experiences have you had with with people who've come to visit? Is there any sort of standout uh, experiences or tales that they've that they've given you? Well, I, I, yeah, we've had a few people that have come down over the years that have taken photos, and you get this either white image or a light image crossing the crossing the dining room. Uh, there's been a range over the years, um, and of course, part of you kind of goes, "Oh, it's the flash in your camera, it's the flash in your phone," um, but. The one that kind of always intrigues me is is the cigarette smoke in the library. Um, wandering in there, people were like, "There's it smelled like someone was recently smoking a cigarette in there," and all the family were known for being, you know, not he- maybe not heavy smokers, but they certainly all smoked. Um, and certainly, there's no smoking allowed in the building. Um, so that's always been an intriguing one, and it has occurred on quite a number of occasions. So apart from ghost hunting, 
and uh, want to have their own experience. What 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 are the main draws? Why do people? Why do you find that people come and visit Scale House? Well, certainly, um, I think to get a wider appreciation for the Scarabray experience is one of the one of the reasons they come to the house. Uh, being being the only mansion house uh, in Orkney open to the public is also a big draw. Um, you know, it's a time capsule of Orkney's social history and and uh, is a, a treasure trove again, a hoarder's treasure trove maybe, but a treasure trove of of information on on the more recent Orkney history. Uh, and for families, the kids are always lured here. The gardens are a wonderful lure t- to the house for the kids to go running around. Um, and obviously the the idea of maybe seeing a ghost. Uh, kids kids love that. So how would you, you know, best to encourage people to come and visit? How can they make the most of the visit? You say Scarabray is obviously there. There's clearly so much to take in when you come to Scale House. Uh, how much time should you allow just to get the, the, the best of the whole experience up there? Yeah, so certainly if you're if you're just coming to the Bay of Scale as an experience, you could do you could spend the whole of a half a day there. Um, you've got the beautiful beaches at Scale as well, which are just stunning. Uh, you've got St Peter's Kirk up the road from us, and beautiful walks, coastal walks around. But certainly the house requires at least an hour to an hour and a half to really get an appreciation for it, the information that's provided, and also the opportunity to often chat to the laird who is present quite a bit. Um, and that's always a highlight for people when they're here. Um, and then Scarabray as a whole, again, you know, you're talking two, three hours between the two sites. And I think you've really got a good understanding of of the scale of history and, and the span of it. Cormac, you clearly don't have any regrets about making that move. No, it's, up there. No, it's the best decision I've ever made, both for family, but also f- for me. Personally, I love love the house, and uh, it's I, to, to feel like I'm putting my own stamp on the place and feel like I'm playing a role in its survival uh, is really really positive positive for me. And the fact that the story is not finished because there's clearly more more to be discovered, there's more to to be found. Oh, very much so. Yeah, and you know this the the story of Sharbo is one that's you know, only in its infancy, and. There's the the scale is you know it's it's incredible, um, but it's it's all very positive and the support is is there to to do the work. So um, we're really keen to see where it, where it leads. Um, but yeah, no, it's certainly a career job. Cormac Grogan, it has been fascinating talking to you, and uh, yet again, as I'm doing every week on Tour Guide Tales, I'm adding and adding to my must go to list and. Uh, uh, Scalehouse is definitely up there. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you agree that Scalehouse and all the stories it's home to have been absolutely fascinating to listen to. If you haven't already, please have a listen back to the other fascinating episodes within this series and tune in for our next episode where I'll be speaking to another of Scotland's brilliant tour guides. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. I'm Grant Stock, and you've been listening to another Tour Guide Tales brought to you by Visit Scotland.